Good morning, Journey Church. Excited to be here. Let's stand together and let's worship our Lord this morning. first time thank you welcome um, we're gonna continue our time of worship this morning so if you guys will join me in prayer 
Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for all that you do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we choose this morning to worship you. We choose this morning to love you. No matter what's going on in our lives, if our hearts are heavy, we choose you this morning, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the honor. And we thank you for all that you've done, Lord. We give you this time. We give you our hearts. We give you our minds. And we worship you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
because I have zero cool stories about giving. Like, you know how people come up here and they're like, God told me to give $400 and the next week I have $4,000 in my bank account. And you sit there, you're like, that's so cool. But it's never happened to me. Not, not even like once. And so if you're in that boat with me, join. It's fun. It's great. But this past week, um, this past two weeks actually has been more self-reflective um, than most because... I've been coming to church here for about five years, and if you haven't seen me around, it's because I just finished my first year at university, so I have been, yeah, that's a big deal for me. I don't like school. And so I bet, haven't been around much this past year, and so coming back and finding myself in this place of like, wow, I did it, like, that was really difficult and really hard, and I know I'm dramatic, but I really thought I was going to die at some points, where I was like, I really can't do it. Like, essays get to a point where you're like, I'd rather just, you know, go outside and just sit there and not do an essay. And coming back and realizing that, wow, like I did it, I made it. And then I found myself so grateful for, especially the people in my life that have stood by me and supported me and kind of backed me to where I was like, I would not be where I am today or the person I am today if it were not for the people who went before me. And they decided that, you know, they believed in me and they saw the work of God in me and they were like, I'm gonna back that and I'm gonna believe that and I'm gonna usher that forward. And I'm like, so I'm here today because of those people. And then I think that the church is a lot like that. Like Journey Church is here today because of the faith of the generations that have gone before us. That there are people that you will never know. You will never know their names. You will ne might never meet them, but you're sitting in this place today because of their generosity, because of what they did, because they saw the move of God in this valley and in this church, and they said, I don't want to miss out, so I'm going to back that. And you're sitting in chairs because somebody that you might never know decided, hey, we need chairs, so I'll pay for them. And you're sitting in a room that's painted because someone said, I don't have the finances, but I can paint. I can, you know, pick up a paintbrush and do that. And 
I don't want us to be a generation that, set, that misses the work of God and just watches it go by. That I want us to be a generation in this church that is a multi-generational church that says we are going to believe in the next generation, that we are going to invest in something that is bigger than us and will go so much further than us, that we have Baptism Sunday, June 2nd, in a couple weeks, and you get to sit back and say, like, you know what? I might not know that person. I might not have ever had an interaction with them, but I believe in this church and I back this church, so I'm a part of that. I'm a part of lives that are transformed. I am a part of people completely turning around and saying they're going to live different lives. And for me personally, I am so thankful for a church that 10 years ago, people decided that they were going to believe in it and they were going to give to it and back it. Because then 10 years ago, they did that. And then five years ago, I got to walk through the doors and give my life to Jesus. And that's amazing to be a part of and to know that you get to be a part of salvations. You get to be a part of God working in other lives. So this morning, I just want to challenge you with that. And there are a couple different ways we can give here at Journey. There's online at avjourney.com. That's the way that I do it. In my opinion, it's the easiest. And then there's in-person cash or check, and the bucket's going to be coming around soon. And then we also have mobile, so you can text GIVE to that number on the screen, and it'll set you up and get you ready with all of that. And as you guys just come forward, we're just going to pray and get ready for the offering. So Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done in this church, God. I thank you so much for the faithfulness of the people in this church, God. I thank you for those who decided that they were going to invest into the kingdom, God. They were going to invest into the next generation, that they saw what God is doing. They saw what you are doing, and they said, I'm not going to miss out. I'm going to give everything I can. I'm going to give up my time, of my resources, and my finances. I am going to invest where it cannot be taken from me. So I thank you so much, Jesus, for this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness in getting each and every one of us here. I pray that you bless the rest of our service, bless the offering, and just bless our, the rest of our Sunday, God. So I thank you for all you've done, for all you're going to do, and in your precious and beautiful name we pray, amen. And I'm going to steal Bianca off of keys, because she's gonna join me for announcements. Oh my gosh. And last service, she tripped me. over every single chord. I'm not doing it this time. But also, musicians will know that ended, like your prayer ended right when I ended the song, which is so good for my heart. Good morning, church. My name's Bianca. I sound like I'm underwater. Um, I hope you're all doing well. If this is your first time here, this is Tess. This is Bianca. Hi. We are giving announcements today. So Tess is going to go. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't trip this time. It was, it was bad for you. You should have seen it. Every <laughs> single chord she hit. And it every was like a one. kick, like a shaking <laughs> off. It was really pretty. So Tess, what announcements do we have today? Well, first, before we get into that, we want to welcome everyone online joining us. Thank you so much. And also, fifth and sixth graders, you are dismissed to go to your area. You had so much fun with us. Sad to so see you go, but you're going to have even more fun over at go the other have building. More fun. Also, if you're brand new with us here at Journey, thank you so much for dropping by and joining us here this morning. Over at the hot spot, we have, it's a surprise. Don't, t don't tell them. She told them last service. We have it's a cookies. surprise gift for you. We have a surprise cookies. gift for you over and at the hot spot. And if you don't spot. want them, I'll take them. It's cookies. They're and we so have good. absolutely nothing from you. We just want to give it to you. Uh -huh. This is a bad idea. But if nothing. you don't like cookies, I'll this take was them. A, this was a, who let us do this? I don't, I don't even know. Also, you have fussy little ones and... Or fussy big ones. Or fussy big Husbands ones. Husbands or wives, if you're fussy, If take your them friend's right kind of being annoying, there's also a cry yeah. room right back, back there. there. And that's going to so be good. a mirror that you can see out, but we can't see in. So you know what? Yep. Go wild. Have fun. Well, don't go too wild. Don't go too wild. Yeah. Gonna, this is church. <laughs> but also, June 2nd, as I mentioned, we have Baptism Sunday. And this... 
Besides Easter, it's my favorite Sunday. Yeah, Bring the tissues, Sunday. you're going to cry. It's yeah. wonderful. So good. And baptism is basically you're publicly declaring your faith in Jesus Christ. You are saying, I am now going to live the ways of Jesus. My life has been transformed by him, and I want to publicly declare that in front of the family, in front of the church. And so we do that by baptism of water. And if you want more information on that or you want to sign up, at the hotspot, there's going to be all that stuff for you. They'll be able to answer any questions you guys have. And then our next announcement is our actually... Our next announcement... We we have an incredible um, ministry nonprofit out here in the AV called CareNet. And um, we love supporting our local ministries out here. And so this is actually a great way, easy way to be able to help them. Um, it's the baby bottle drive. And so we have the baby bottles for you. They're all there at the hotspot. You just grab one on your way out and then just fill it with change. You know, you just, I have like a little tin that I put all my change in, but then I use it because I as well am a college student and I have no money. So I need to use every quarter left, but maybe, it, no, but this year I'm going to put it all towards the baby bottles. You might. Yeah, I might. I will. Um, and so anyway, so grab a bottle at the hotspot and then just fill it up with change. If you forget to fill it up with change, it's okay because you could put a check in there and it would still be the same thing. So, um, and then just return it to us. We will get it to AV CareNet. It's a great, great ministry that works with pregnant women in the AV. And so it's really cool. We want yeah, to support it's them. It's amazing. Um, another announcement coming up soon is our neighborhood kids camp. Woo! Obviously, awesome. not a lot of you were there because you're not kids. Maybe at heart, but you're not a child. And so, um, but last year we had an incredible time. We have a whole team of leaders that come out here and they like, the stage looks all set up. They have different tribes. They take the kids through incredible um, Bible stories and interactive games. They have like a climbing wall outside That's and legit. they have these huge blow up water slides, which are so cool. Um, so the kids are gonna have a great time. It is June 17th through the 21st. If you have a child that you'd like to sign up, or if you want to help sponsor a child, please visit our hotspot. They'll have registration papers and they will have um, hands to take your money. That's what they'll do. So uh, if you have any questions, just head on over there. We also have another camp coming up. I didn't make a slide for it, but it is our summer camp. Yes. First service got way more excited. Uh, our summer camp, this is for our junior high through high schoolers. Um, this year, it is coming actually really quick. We just, you know, we like to decide things on the fly sometimes. So we're like, yeah, why don't we go to camp? June 10th through the 14th. And we as leaders are scurrying around to try to raise money to get our kids there. Um, we as leaders have to pay as well, but we are like, we want our kids there. We know how impactful and how important summer camp is. It, what God can do in almost a whole year, he does like in one week for those kids because they're all together. Every single day they're hearing the word of God. They're spending community time together with their leaders. It's just incredible. And so it is a little pricey this year. So if you you know feel led to help one of our students out or help just give money and we'll disperse it throughout our kids who need help, um, please let us know at the hotspot. We'd love to have you kind of join with us as a youth ministry to get our kids there. We want to get as many of our kids there as possible. Um, they're all very excited for it. So now is our favorite time this is of the best the time. service. Best time. Besides getting coffee in the morning. That's, that's the, best the best time. time. This is the second best now, time. I was excited that the collective is back open, right? That is so good. That's a little push for you, Chase, just so you know. <laughs> if you need to get coffee, head on out there. But You're don't welcome, head on out there now. Stand up. Find somebody you don't know. Find somebody you do know. Give them a hug and shake their hand or wink. Or wink.
Good morning. I love second service. Second service is always so much energy compared to first service. This is a great service. First service is good too, but this one is better. Um, so go to first service because we need help there too for energy wise. We are in our Bottled Up series and I'm extremely excited about it. Um, I've said it, I feel like I've said it every time I've been on stage um, because to me, this is one of the coolest series I think that uh, we get to be a part of. The whole concept behind the Bottled Up series is that this is a like kind of a metaphor, symbol for what we do with our emotions. This is what we look like when we hold on to things and we let them build until the point where they just start coming out of us uh, uncontrollably or in unhealthy ways. They leak out. They start to, to show up in really uh, maybe less than uh, godly ways. And this is, the mo this is I, I think, for most of us. We've talked about a couple different things so far, but a couple weeks ago before Mother's Day last week, um, I started a conversation about dealing with this when it comes to conflict. I think one of the biggest ways where I see uh, us as, as Christ followers and me in my own life even in the struggle for like kind of just holding on to things in the way that they kind of explode out of us is in the way that we do conflict. Conflict is one of the greatest areas where you will see your emotional maturity or immaturity because how you do conflict says a lot about how you do life, how you deal with people emotionally where you're at. Um, how you manage your anger and, and your disappointments, your frustrations, your hurts, things like that. So I think this is important. I know when we come to conversations like this, a lot of times, it's easy, especially for our, our guys in the room, to check out. Um, if it's not just a practical, give me, you know, give me what I need to make God happy, uh, then we don't, we don't necessarily want it. And I think a lot of times we would prefer just give me some scripture and send us on our way, Pastor. Don't get, too, don't get too involved in our personal lives and what's going on in the day today. You know what I mean? And the reality is, I think the very struggle with and the beauty of this series, the bottled up series is the whole point is that what bottling up our emotions forces us to do is to simply manage our behavior and, and just do behavior modification rather than actually experiencing heart transformation. Because of that, the church becomes a place that we, I think we struggle to want to be a part of, if I'm really honest. I think you go through your more spiritual and your less spiritual seasons, but there are seasons, if we're all honest with ourselves, where we just get busy or this seems to be less relevant in our lives. Can we, can we say that that's true for, for a lot of us? I think in reality, Majority of us find that this is a struggle and why I think this conversation particularly is so important is because the way that we do life in relationships, the way that we see the church, the church was intended as the answer to the brokenness in our world. The plight of devastation that sin has caused was meant to be answered by the church, the bride. And so the way we do relationships is important because the way we see this working out in relationship usually is done really poorly. You see, what we've talked about in the past, just to give us, to recap for those of you who weren't here a couple weeks ago, conflict, I believe, when centered in love, is one of the most powerful and necessary aspects of our relationships. 
Conflict is not something to be avoided. I think where we go wrong a lot is the church has taught, maybe even not verbally, but uh, we, it's been communicated one way or another that to be a good Christian, you just avoid conflict. We, we create a false sense of peace. You just keep the peace. So we become passive aggressive. Uh, we become backstabbing gossips who talk about each other, deal with things in any other way than with the person, or we're the person who goes guns blazing, ready to, to just wreak havoc and destroy anybody and anything in our path. The problem with both ways of, of approaching conflict is that neither of them are based in love. A lot of times with conflict, the problem is, is that we see the person in our, in our perspective, the person's the problem rather than the problem being the problem and the person being a person who's also trying to figure out the problem. Where we go wrong is when we both grab our guns and we set up for a draw and we come ready and we start shooting at each other. The problem with a, cow, a good old-fashioned cowboy uh, standoff is what? Somebody dies. Somebody gets shot. The same is true in our conflict. When we come at each other and you're the enemy or I'm your enemy and we come ready, we wreak so much havoc that by the time it's done, we don't ever want to do conflict again because now we have all this, we have all this damage control we have to do. And it's exhausting. So we just are like, you know what? Let's scrap the whole idea. I'm just going to play nice. And instead, we emotionally distance. We just distrust people. We don't deal with it, we don't talk about it, so instead, we gradually become disengaged to the point where there is nothing left, and this relationship is just like this. It's left in darkness. It's empty and devoid of any emotion, of any connection, and we do this in the church. You know how I know? Because to this day, my dad will, will tell me, I won't read them, but my dad will talk to us about how we get anonymous, helpful emails. <laughs> now this, I'm just going to be really honest. This is just me candid. This kills me because it is not helpful to have a complaint or to have an issue and then to anonymously send it out so that there can't be a conversation to address said issue. There could be no fixing the problem when the problem is so much, a lot of times, dependent on the person. Because you can have one person that comes in and leaves this anonymous message that says, uh, this church is really unfriendly. I didn't feel welcomed once. Second email can say, this is the friendliest church I've ever been to in my whole life. I've never been so welcomed anywhere in the entirety of my church experience. It's totally dependent on the person. So you can't fix the problem without having a conversation with the individual, which is removed when we choose to be anonymous. It's a cheap way to not have to confront or deal with things. And conflict, I believe, is actually a form of love. It is love worked out. Why? Because the opposite becomes apathy, indifference, disconnection. To confront is to live in truth. And truth is of God. So therefore, you cannot have love without truth and you cannot have truth without love. They go hand in hand. To, to live behind pretense, to live behind faking it, fronting it, masking it, hiding it, is to miss the truth 
and authenticity that is meant to be in, involved in our relationships that brings us together. So when we're talking about conflict, the, the part that I really want to focus on today is this idea of expectations. How many of you have expectations going into relationships? I'm going to go ahead and say all of us. How many of you have expectations of your partner or your, your spouse? You've got expectations. Yes, you do, because they cause fights. How many of you have expectations of your employees? Yes, you do. How many of you have expectations of your children? Yes, you do. How many of you have expectations of your parents? Yes, you do. How many of you have expectations of your friends? Yes, you do. Yo, we all have expectations. They're not wrong. It's not bad to have expectations. Where we go wrong is that most of us have expectations that are uncommunicated. So we start boiling up because people aren't reading our minds. Now, let's be real. We don't want people to read our minds. Really? Who wishes you had the, the, uh, the magic power of being able to read minds? <laughs> Nobody who knows your own thoughts because you are terrified of what other people might be, think, might be truly thinking about you. We don't, we don't actually read each other's minds, but we act like we do all the time. We want to pick and choose when we want people to read our minds. We want people to read our minds when it comes to our expectations. We don't want them to read our minds when it comes to our thoughts about them or ourselves or other things. Expectations are huge. My, one of, one of the, I think the biggest places that I see expectations is on a first date. Right? Who goes into a first date with a lot of expectations? I believe everybody did. Or maybe you didn't, and that's why you're married to who you're married to. <laughs> jokes, jokes. Just jokes. Okay, we're moving on. We're just, just making sure you're awake this morning. That's all. First service was, you know, slow to the draw. So just making sure you're with me. Expectations are really, really evident in first dates. I was going on a first date, and... Uh, I had my boy Tanner helping me out, making sure I knew where I was going, what we were doing, uh, all of this stuff, and I decided I was going to take her out to a really nice restaurant in Valencia, and uh, we were going to uh, go, it was right around Christmas time, so I was going to take her down Candy, Tr Candy Cane Lane and do the whole thing, it was going to be really romantic and cute and all that, it was going to be great. So I rush home after work, I get changed, I jet to pick her up, and then we head straight out to make sure we hit our reservations. About midway to the end of dinner, I get a text from my sister that says, hey, did you need your wallet? Uh, yep. Because one expectation that is always clear is what? The guy pays. You don't go to your first date and say, hey, so sorry, I happened to forget my wallet. <laughs> I know, I took you to a really nice dinner. Thanks for coming. You know, like, <laughs> I can Venmo you? You know, I don't, like, what do you, what, what? No. So, you know, my sister and my other sister, Logan, being the great champs that they are, they jump in the car and they're like, we'll bring it to you. Stall her. 
So we keep carrying on the conversation. I order dessert going, God, I hope they come, because otherwise we're gonna be doing dishes all night. This is gonna be the worst date ever. We keep, we get to the end, they bring us the check. The waiter gets to the point where they're like still refilling our waters, but the check's been there for a while. My date's looking at me, and I mean, she knows what we were, that we were supposed to go next. It's starting to get late, and Candy Cane Lane closes at a decent time. So I'm just kind of like waiting, and she finally is just like, were we gonna like go, like leave the restaurant? And I was like, all right, fine, I'll, I've been stalling. I'm just gonna be really honest, I forgot my wallet. And my sister's bringing it over, didn't want you to know, uh, but she should be here any minute. And she just like looked at me and she's like, I could pay for it. And I was just like, yeah, sure you could. You know? <laughs> and then judge me the rest of your life, I know better. I know better. Wouldn't that be a story, you know, to tell the kids, it didn't work out, so it's fine. But, it's fine. My sister came, brought it. We didn't make it to Candy Cane Lane. We just ended up having to hang out and then come home. It was, it was, it was a great first date. But expectations are a major part of our lives. I think that's why it's so crazy. Because expectations are the most normal and least talked about things, I think, when it comes to our relationships. We don't talk about them. We all have them. But when's the last time you thought about them? You analyzed them. You recognized what, what you were hoping for in a conversation, in a relationship, in a, in a, you know, whatever. And as we're talking about this series bottled up, I think our expectations and our unmet expectations and where we start to build and where we start to get angry and where some of our fights and our conflicts come from is where we don't deal with our expectations. We get really upset, right? We can get really offended, really hurt. To frame our, our, the conversation today, I just want to take a look at 1 Samuel 16, 7, because this is going to frame the idea behind this whole bottled up series and why what we're talking about is so important. It says this, 1 Samuel 7, or 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is the crux of everything we're going to be talking about today. Y'all, the reason why this bottled up series and dealing with conflict, all of this is so important, is because at the end of the day, God is after your heart. Now, yes, context, he is talking about Samuel is about to anoint the next king of Israel. He's looking at um, Eliab, the older brother of David, and he's thinking, yeah, this looks like a king. And God rejects him. He says, no. Brings in finally David, and, and David becomes crowned king. He gets anointed as king. So, yes, there's context to this, but on the other side, this is true throughout Scripture. We see this, God being after our hearts throughout the entirety of Scripture. This is not just with David that he's talking about this. God is always looking at our hearts. And it is equally true that we are always judging each other's outward appearances. 
And I think this is important because when we deal with bottled up, what bottling up everything does and just working through behavior management instead of heart transformation, behavior modification rather than heart transformation is this. It becomes about cold religion and rules and we lose the heartbeat of a life centered around the king. We lose the intimacy and the relationship with God and people that they were designed for. See, this is the problem. The more disconnected we, come, we become from God, the more those expectations shift from God and to our relationships. And now suddenly, people are expected to meet the standards and to meet your needs that they were never intended to meet. And now the one who was meant to meet them is no longer part of this because we're too busy doing the rules and going through the mindlessly and heartlessly going through, okay, the next step and the next step. All the while destroying our relationships because we don't recognize that we continue to set people to a higher and higher standard because our needs are not being met by our God and now people are forced to try to meet them. Our expectations start to go above and beyond what is reasonable. When we talk about conflict, I want, to tell, I want to talk about a few stories. I want to go into a couple stories real quick. I just want to briefly touch on them uh, so we can get you guys out of here. But I, I think this is important when we're dealing with our expectations. Um, before we go to the stories, I want to just take a look at what we should be aware of when it comes to our expectations. There's four things that I have that I think we should really keep in consideration. The first is this. Do we have these? To be conscious conscious. I have to become aware of the expectations I have for the other person. In order for you to be able to deal with your expectations, you got to know what they are. This is crucial. The second thing, that they're realistic. I have to ask myself if the expectations regarding the other person are realistic. In other words, can you meet your own expectations? Do you If that role was reversed, do you meet the expectations that you are expecting from somebody else? The next, that they are spoken. I have to speak my expectations clearly, directly, and respectfully to the other person. This is crucial. Why is this so important? I believe that this is important because this is the beginnings of vulnerability and honesty in our relationships. Because this opens us up to rejection. To speak them out, to verbalize them, to clarify them, is to open the door for the person to say, yeah, you're not worth that. It takes honesty to be able to say, this is what I need from this relationship. This is what I expect from this relationship. When you do these things, it hurts me. We don't like conversations like that. Makes us feel weak. Makes us feel like we're giving the other person control. It makes us feel like they have more information. But this is crucial. The last and final one is this, that they are agreed upon. Now, I think this is crucial. Agreed upon is, uh, in order for my expectations to be valid, the other person must be aware of, of and agree to them. Otherwise, it is simply a hope. 
When it comes to our expectations, if we're not agreeing with the other person about them, we stop treating that person as a person and they become a means to an end to make us feel good. That person, that relationship is no longer about a mutual engagement with another person. It simply becomes a means to an end. This relationship, you make me feel happy. As long as that's the case, we're good. If that's not the case, I'm not interested. In order for the relationship to be mutual, in order for it to be something where love is established and this is a person and not a thing, they have to be agreed upon. This is true in all of our relationships. You know how I know that this is seen, that this is true, and that I, I believe that this is woven into the fabric of how we do life? Is because what I see true about scripture is that God loves us so much and doing those things those are an act of love and the way that I know that is because when you look at scripture God could not be more clear about his expectations for us to step into relationship with him is to agree upon his terms and conditions his terms and conditions though are what perfection anybody managed to get that one yet Say, if you had your hand raised, you a liar. I'll confront you after. <laughs> no, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. This is tough because the expectation is perfection. But I want to take a look at a couple stories that Jesus says because what you would expect from perfection and from the perfect one is a really religious person who expects you to follow the rules. And yet what we see in Jesus seems to break all of the expectations that the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time had of him, which is what tripped them up terribly. Let's first take a look at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. We're going to take a look at this. This is what it says. Now, just to give some context. There's a religious leader that's talking to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says, uh, what do I do, got to do to get to heaven? Most of us ask the same question. We just want to know, what is it going to cost? What does it take? What do I got to do to make God happy with me so I can go to heaven? Jesus, Jesus says, you know the law, how do you interpret it? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yeah, do this and you'll live. So the man all of a sudden gets a little, gets a little like, he wants to justify himself, gets a little maybe cocky with Jesus, and, uh, and he goes, so who is my neighbor? Asking the wrong question. You don't ask a stupid question to Jesus because he'll just put you in your place, but he'll do it in a way that you didn't even know that he was doing it until it's too late because Jesus usually comes at you with a parable, and this is what he said, starting in verse 30. says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him. Just pause. The second dude actually walked all the way over to him and then walked away. That's tough. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he, left, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. 
The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. And the man, of course, responds, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. Now, I think this is important. This story is crucial because what it is explaining and what it's showing, as Jesus is telling a story, most of the people around would have been looking at the priest and, and the Levite, and they would have been like, yeah, I mean, sure they're going to walk by because if the man's dead and they touch him and they're headed to Jerusalem to do the work of God, they're going to be unclean ceremonially, so they're not going to be able to help. They don't get to do what they need to do at the church, at the temple, if they touch him and he's dead. So yeah, they're going to leave him. But then Jesus flips the script and brings in the greatest enemy to the Jewish culture at the time besides the Romans, which was the Samaritans, half-breeds. There was an ongoing war between the Samaritans and the Jews because the Samaritans had bred in with other communities, which made them no longer pure-blooded Israelites set apart for God. And so the Jewish community now were like, nah, you're not a part of it. So the Samaritans set up their own temple. The Jewish community didn't like that, so they went and ripped down their temple. And it began this whole war. This whole war. Devastation. All kinds of things happening. The Samaritan becomes the good guy. Interesting. The reason why I think this is so important and directly connected to what we're talking about is the world that Jesus was talking to. Now, yes, this is a parable set in a specific context to a specific group of people, but what he would have been showing them is these people got so focused on behavior management and doing the steps, following the rules, that they lost sight of the fact that the rules were only there to help them love people well in the first place. To lose sight, for, for the man to be able to say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then to ask, who is my neighbor, as if there's somebody who is not the neighbor, is to miss the entirety of the point. God is after our hearts, y'all. Your behavior comes as, I'm, this is, now make no mistake. Let me clarify one thing. What I am not saying is that your behavior doesn't matter. There is way too much scriptural evidence to point away from that. What I am saying is this. Your behavior comes out of the overflow of your heart. What you do comes out of who you are. You can manage it all you want, but the truth of who you are will come out in your behavior. Trust me, I know, I've been there, done that. Until you deal with your heart, the wounds, the brokenness, the pain, and the stuff going on in your heart, your best bet is to manage your behavior throughout life rather than to live a life fully transformed and free to become everything God has for you. When we settle for heartless, hopeless religion, we miss out on the entirety of the point. Jesus did not come and die for you to have religion, for you to follow rules, for you to sit in chairs, listen to messages, and then go and cope through life until you finally take your last breath and appear to him in heaven and have to deal with all the repercussions of all of our choices. This was meant to be the first point of contact where we engage with God and our lives are changed and all of a sudden the 
fullness of what God intended begins to be experienced in our relationships with each other and God. Anybody had a great time with God lately? Anybody just been overwhelmed by the presence of God lately? Anybody been so desperate for God that you just didn't care about anything else because all you wanted to do was sit at God's feet and just be with him? Honestly, I haven't. More days than not, I'm too busy doing for God than being with him. More days than not, I would rather go through the motions because it's easier than just engaging my heart and letting God do the deep work inside of me of transformation. Behavior modification and behavior management is so much easier because then all I have to do is look the part. Heart transformation is messy because we got to get real. We got to get honest. And it brings us to a place of true humility. Because, y'all, the reality is we are each that guy laying on the side of the road half dead. And the good Samaritan is none other than Jesus himself. The enemy to the religious world was Jesus. The enemy to the religious world at that time was Jesus. And Jesus was at the same time painting a picture of what he was coming to do on our behalf to pick us up, to heal us, and then we begin to live out of that same place. We do it because we were healed first. We do it because we were freed first. We do it because we were loved first. We've gotta do some confrontation, folks, because we've gotta get real in our relationships. It is not wrong to have expectations. It is wrong to assume that people should know our expectations. Here's the problem when we go through assumptions. This is what begins to happen. I start thinking I read your motives and I read your mind. I assume I know the motives of your heart. I know why you did that. Because you're an ugly person. You are heartless and cold. You meant to do that because you're manipulative, you're selfish. We come up with all kinds. Do you not come up with a whole story in your head as to why the person in front of you cut you off? They hate me. They hate me. That's why. We, I, we're laughing, but it's true. We're like, I'm going to cut you off now. This is just whack out there. You didn't hate the person the day before when you cut them off, though, did you? You were just late for work. You had an engagement. Something was going on. But we do this. We assume. And there is a, there is a, uh, there is a, what is the called? A phrase that goes with assumption, assuming. I'm not allowed to talk about it on stage because it uses a curse word. But there are things said about assuming. It makes a donkey out of you and me. The word's ass. Makes an ass out of you and me. That's what it is. Sorry, I went there. This is the problem with assuming. I know, I'm sorry. I'm not, though. I'm not, though. I'm not, though. Assuming. This is what happens when we assume. We think we know the motivations of people's hearts. And when we do that, we start to judge them. We judge their outer appearance because we never go to them and confirm, and you may have great evidence to prove that you're right, but when we do not do the work of confronting it and asking and having the conversation, we remove any ability for restoration, for healing, or understanding. 
The person is no longer a person. They are an it and this and an other. And that, that other is what we, where we begin to assume and we start to box people in. All women are like this. All minorities are like this. All children are like this. All, and we start boxing people in because we assume, we assume that, oh, you're like that? Then every, all of you must be like that. You're like that. See, assumption starts to bring division unlike anything else. When we don't communicate our expectations, when we don't start having the conversations, things get really disconnected and really broken really quickly. Second story, I want to go, I'm going to jump on real quick because we're running out of time quickly, is John, 1, or John 9, 1 and 2. Start here real quick. As Jesus was walking, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Pause. Assumption. Instant assumption. We do this all the time. Something going wrong in your life? Uh, you, must be have some, you must have some secret sin. You must be not right with God. Because your life is looking all kinds of jacked up, so you, there, therefore, you must be wrong. Like, you and God must not be on good terms right now. Christians assume this stuff all the time. Assumption. Jesus' Jesus's response? Neither. Neither his sin nor his parents' sin. I'm going to skip. Uh, I'll just summarize. Jesus goes up to him, spits in some dirt, rubs it on his eyes, has him go wash, comes back. The man can see. Men born blind can see. We call that a miracle. Don't know about you. Now he can see. He comes to the religious leaders, and they are like, I don't think he was the blind man. I think there was somebody else. He just looks like him. So they take him to the religious leaders. They start pounding him with questions. What like, what happened? How did this happen? And you don't want to know why they're really upset? You want to know what's really grinding their gears? He healed the blind man on the Sabbath. We have like 600 rules for why you can't do that. You can't be healing people on the Sabbath. As if the Sabbath was meant to keep us from doing good with people. See, that's what happens when this becomes heartless, cold religion. Instead of a heart-transformative relationship, we disconnect from God, which causes us to disconnect with the heartbeat of God. We can't see people the way he sees them when we're not engaged with him. It becomes rules. So where I pick up, I want to pick up really quickly in verse 24. This is big. Do what he says. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. But what did he do? Recognize they just brushed right past that. I don't care, it's a miracle. What did he do? They asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Then they cursed him and said, You're, you are a disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. 
Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Their response, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Rather than engaging with the heart of God and looking at the evidence, seeing what's really going on, they have to brush all of the works of God aside and just judge the outer appearance of this man, tell him he's a sinner. Jesus wasn't meeting their expectations, and so they just completely cast him aside and had to deem him a sinner, though he was doing miracles that could not have been done outside of a work of God. Our expectations matter, folks. Their expectations of who the Messiah was supposed to be was the very thing that kept them from stepping into everything that God had for them. When we don't manage our expectations, we have the, op- the ability to destroy our relationships and what God has in store for us. Our expectations matter. Doing conflict, conflict well matters. I want to read to you Matthew 9, 12, and 13 as we close. as The worship team gets ready to come up. Jesus had just, uh, he had just picked up Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciple. This was really messing with people because he was considered to be a traitor to the Jewish world because he was working for the Romans. And so he was considered a, an absolute traitor. Jesus asked him to be his disciple. Matthew gets so excited, he invites him over to hang out with all of his tax collector friends. And Jesus goes, the religious leaders show up on the scene and go, uh, why is your teacher hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And this was Jesus' response. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Y'all, this matters for us. Because the opposite, when we communicate our expectations, when we work through conflict, when we actually deal with these things, what comes about is truth. We live in truth. Assumptions creates a whole fantasy world that is not based in reality. And when we do not live in truth and in reality, we cannot live in love the way that God designed us to. So we live a shadow of the life God designed us for all along. Anybody living a shadow life right now? Anybody living a life that you didn't, you're not quite excited about, not quite meeting your expectations? When we seek God out, when we do it his way, one, it forces us to speak the truth about what our expectations are. This causes us to live and walk in humility and transparency, which brings about authenticity in our relationships. And when we live out authenticity and true relationships, what we begin to see is we are all the blind man that is need healing to see. We are all spiritually blind, and until Jesus shows up, we cannot see him for who he is and what the meaning of life is really all about. We are all the man dying on the side of the road, and Jesus had to be the one to come and pick us up. So, y'all, when it comes to our conflict, it is not about convenience or inconvenience. It's not about what's easy or about what's fun. It's about what's worth it because God saw worth it to show up on the scene for us, to pick us up, to love us, to show us mercy. And now we have the opportunity to do the same. So we do conflict. And you're going to have moments where you get angry. 
You're going to have moments where your expectations aren't met. You're going to have moments where you're upset. And that is not wrong. How you deal with that can be right or wrong. And y'all, the church cannot afford to do this poorly. Because the world is looking at us and saying, do you believe this? I believe people are desperate looking for something real. And when the church begins to manage conflict well, to live in truth, which I believe truth is a form of love. You do that with grace and you allow mercy. Why? Because I was a broken person first. So now every time I confront somebody, no matter how upset and angry I am, I still give them the same grace and mercy that I have experienced and I continue to need every day. Because even after Jesus showed up on the scene, I have still made terrible choices and been broken and been the one who has needed to be confronted. Any of you? It has not been a one-time deal. It has not been a one-time deal for me. God has had to continually show back up, continually show me mercy, continually heal me. So you know what? It has completely altered the way that I do conflict with the people around me. Because I recognize as much as I want to be mad and as much as I want to just destroy you and rip you to shreds, I am you in so many ways. So now the way I deal with you has so much more love ingrained into its very essence. Y'all, the way you do your relationships matters. We can't afford to overlook this. No, I didn't go verse by verse. And no, I didn't just give you context in scripture. Yes, this is more practical and this is right where we're at. But can I tell you, if we were, be were to begin to live this, I believe our relationships would transform because God is after your heart. God is after your heart. God is after our hearts. If you want cold, heartless religion, there's a ton of them. Go find one that works for you. But if you want to engage in a relationship with the God who said, yes, the standard is perfection. My expectation is perfection. You can't meet that? Great. I sent my son. Now he fulfills the entirety of the law. It is completely fulfilled. He's going to go join. He's going to go back to heaven. Great. You still are struggling with this? I'm going to send my spirit. And when you enter into a relationship with me, I'm going to place my spirit inside of you. And he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to guide you into wisdom. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your counselor. And he's going to be there every step of the way. Yo, we have been set up for success. This is the God that we serve. We can have expectations of him. You can expect good from him. You can expect him to love you unconditionally. You can expect him to show up when you screw up. Does anybody need that kind of God in their lives? Or are we, are we really that happy with a heartless God who is just interested in our behavior management? Because I'm just not willing to live the rest of my life managing my behavior when there is a God who is saying, I just want to hang out with you today, and I just want to spend time with you, and in my presence is healing, and in my presence is fulfillment, and in my presence is life. Let's not settle, folks. This matters. Who are we kidding? This stuff matters. It matters because it's how we have deal with our own emotions, which affects how we relate to God and the world around us. This stuff matters. We don't get to ignore it. We don't get to avoid it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be a hospital for the sick because we've been the ones in the hospital. Maybe we're there right now. 
I pray for those who find themselves in a place where they are desperate to encounter you. Father, I pray for your presence to flood through this place. I pray that we would recognize that, that this is not about a church service, that you are asking us to show up on Tuesday night and Friday morning. God, that it is through our weeks that as we spend time with you and our hearts begin to be transformed, our behaviors begin to match that of the heart transformation that's taking place inside. There is no shortcut. There is no way around it. You are not interested in just heartless, cold religion. You did not send your son to die for more rules that we couldn't even measure up to in the first place. God, I pray that you would raise our expectations of what you are capable of in our lives. I pray that you would raise our expectations of what we look for from you, that you wouldn't just be genie God and, and Santa Claus God, but you would be the God who desires intimacy with us in our everydays. Pray that we would encounter you in a fresh way, that it would reshape how we do life, that it would be overcome by your goodness, just in awe of your beauty. God, and that we would find ourselves living our best lives now. Thank you. Thank you for the good news. Be with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you go and stand with us? We're going to close in a song.